the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing today's program, engineering a portion of it, and Sam Maupin engineering the remainder of today's program. We'll take a look at some of the headline news as well as the lighter side of the news in this first hour. And then in the second hour, the Christian Outlook. We'll hear from Brandon Showalter. He's a columnist and senior investigative reporter for the Christian Post. We'll talk about his article. In fact, I had that interview featured this week on trans procedures on children. We'll also hear from Justin Hart, author of Gone Viral, How COVID uh, Drove the World Insane. We'll talk about the CDC vote to mandate COVID shots for children in order for them to attend school, not just public, but also possibly private. Matt Staver takes up the same issue. Uh, He's with the Liberty Council, and that's coming up as part of today's Christian Outlook. Well, you may not have known it, but today is National First Responders Day. As respect for law enforcement, firefighters and other emergency services personnel continually spirals downward. And it's um, having an impact on our culture. The truth about their professionalism, compassion and sacrifices matters more than ever. Now, in every profession, there are those who fall short, and that's true of that profession as in every other. But once upon a time, first responders were widely respected and supported. Now, shamefully, they're all too often treated with contempt. We're all far too familiar with the long list of smear campaigns, especially those targeting law enforcement professionals. Well, as a result, um, this is an occasion for us to... Reverse that trend. First responders historically put their lives on the line. They rush toward danger every day to keep us safe. They save lives. They prevent violent crimes. They invest in and protect our communities. And there's so many stories and examples that are uh, impossible to track comprehensively. But we need to be mindful of uh, what they do and what they are doing. In addition to tragic occupational hazards and line of duty deaths, law enforcement officers and other first responders are regularly intentionally injured, attacked and targeted during their day to day duties. And it's not just police who are targeted. Firefighters and others in emergency response professions are attacked while simply doing their jobs. Healthcare professionals are Fired for personal health decisions, first responders willingly subject themselves to risks to keep others, their communities, and the nation safe. People simply want to feel that safety in their communities, and when allowed to do so, first responders provide it. Well, today, while some retain their own personal security, taxpayers who fund community protection and desire first responder presence too often go without it. Well, despite the vitriol and increase in crime amid the defunding and demoralization of first responders across the country, they continue to serve as best they can. Well, to each first responder, thank you. You may not always be able to hear those words over the noise, but you are truly appreciated, supported and respected by many. I would go so far as to say most Americans today on National First Responders Day and every other day. 
One case in point, you may have heard that the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, was assaulted with a hammer early Friday morning in his San Francisco home by an attacker identified by police uh, who um, a law, uh, I should say, who a law enforcement source says was shouting, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? During the, uh, the the crime, San Francisco Police Chief William Scott said that the 42-year-old attacker is now facing charges of attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, elder abuse, burglary, and several other additional felonies stemming from the incident after 2 a.m. Friday morning local time. Scott said that police responded to a well-being check and found uh, the assaulter and uh, Paul Pelosi, who is 82, struggling over a hammer. He said officers then witnessed uh, the perpetrator pull the hammer away from Pelosi and violently assault him. Officers then immediately tackled the uh, uh, perpetrator, disarmed him and took him into custody while requesting emergency backup and rendering medical aid at the scene. The motive for the attack remains under investigation and some are speculating, is this an example of rampant crime or is this an example of the mental health challenges many of our communities are facing? Uh, the White House said President Biden is praying for Paul Pelosi and for the speaker. A source said that the intruder conf- uh, confronted the speaker's husband shouting where the speaker uh, might have been. And two sources with knowledge of the investigation into the attack also said the associated uh, to this, the Associated Press that Paul Pelosi was specifically targeted, severely beaten with a hammer and suffered blunt force injuries to his head and body. The sources said that Pelosi is being treated for injuries, including bruising and severe swelling. The U.S. Capitol Police said in its own statement that it is assisting the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the San Francisco Police with a joint investigation into a break in at the California home of the Speaker of the House of Representatives. The statement also said Nancy Pelosi was in Washington, D.C. with her protective detail at the time of the overnight break in. Let's remember Paul Pelosi in our prayers and it's a reminder that uh, violent threats, we remember uh, members of the Supreme Court, one coming, one perpetrator or would-be perpetrator coming as close as just outside uh, the justice's home with weapons, uh, that this is a very volatile time. We need intervention. And while I'm grateful for first responders, I think we need to go a little higher than that um, because our country is um, is in major trouble. Well, in other news, Elon Musk took over Twitter late Thursday and fired company CEO Parag Agrawal, CFO Ned Segal, senior legal representative Vijaya Gaddy, and general counsel Sean Edgett, according to the Washington Post. Musk, the world's richest man, he acquired the social media giant through a $44 billion purchase. He repeatedly... Um, uh, objected to some elements of information given to him prior to that purchase, but he reportedly had until Friday to complete the deal. He chose to do it on Thursday. In a video tweet that went viral, Musk appeared at Twitter's corporate offices on Wednesday carrying a sink, implying that employees would need to accept that he was now in charge. Before completing his purchase of Twitter, he had earlier considered backing out of the deal and paying a hefty fine. Throughout the saga, he's publicly criticized Twitter's leadership, one of his major criticisms was that Twitter's users um, user base was saturated with fake bots. According to Musk's team, one third of Twitter users were either spam or fake accounts, although other tech uh, 
techies have cast doubt on this finding. Well, in a tweet earlier on Thursday, Musk outlined his motivations for purchasing Twitter and his vision of how he would like to improve the platform. The reason I acquired Twitter, he said, is because it's important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence, end quote. In particular, he said he wishes to remake Twitter's advertising model. I also very much believe that advertising, when done right, can uh, delight, entertain and inform you. For this to be true, it is essential to show Twitter users advertising that is as relevant as possible to their needs. Low relevancy ads are spam, but highly relevant ads are actually content. And he went on from there. Well, Elon Musk's takeover is making the left lose it as he fired the company's top executives. The implosion is uh, interesting to watch, and we've already heard that he plans on making additional layoffs. Gun control opponents are worrying that the Oregon measure, the ballot measure, will make our communities less safe since police agencies will be forced to fund and operate a massive permit to purchase program. This is the most extreme gun control measure in the country, or at least one of the most extreme. That's a quote from Oregon State Shooting Association President Kerry Spurgeon speaking to Fox News. It will virtually eliminate firearm sales in Oregon as written. If approved, Measure 114 would require a background check, hands-on firearm training, fingerprint collection, and a permit to purchase a gun. Police would be required to maintain an electronic searchable database of all firearm permits. I'm all for it. That's what the Ohio Democrat Senate candidate Tim Ryan said back in 2019, pledging to the American Civil Liberties Union to release all the nonviolent criminals and cut the prison population in half. It came back to haunt him as the contentious race enters its final stretch. Well, during his ultimately um, unsuccessful run for president, Ryan was approached by the ACLU rights for every uh, voter. Uh, who asked him if he would commit to reducing the U.S. prison population by 50 percent should he take the White House. I'm all for it, he said at the time. A month later that year, Ryan fully committed to the ACLU's pledge to reduce the prison population by 50 percent when asked by another organization's right for all voters. Again, regretting having made that uh, that announcement public. Democrats are worried with less than two weeks to go before the midterm elections. The Cook political report adjusted its ratings in Arizona's Senate race from lean Democrat to toss up, suggesting the GOP's chances are improving in a crucial race that could determine which party takes control of the Senate this fall. For several months, Senator Mark Kelly, the Democrat from Arizona, maintained a lead in the Senate race against Trump endorsed Blake Masters. But the new ratings reveal an apparent shift in the race, lessening the Democrats hopes for re-election. Well, saying it's a lie, a Georgia official blasting Democrat uh, Jim Crow 2.0 narrative believes he can back that up. And journalism to activism, the Washington Post has been blasted for calling the Fetterman debate a milestone for disability. CBS is calling out the inconvenient truth behind President Biden's clean energy electric vehicle push and an historical figure. MSNBC's O'Donnell compares Fetterman to Churchill and FDR who led despite illness. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news, and I'll be joined by James Blend. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Want to let you know we have extended the deadline to register for the Pastor Appreciation Breakfast. That'll run through Monday. We're inviting local pastors, ministry leaders, and their spouses to the, the Pastor Appreciation Breakfast. Registration is extended and space is limited to register now at kpdq.com. It's... um. This Thursday, November 3rd, at 8 a.m. at the Embassy Suites Portland Airport. The event will include a fabulous breakfast, fellowship, worship, and uplifting uh, uplifting message from Pastor Alan Jackson. And the event is absolutely free. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today and spread the word so we get to honor as many church leaders as possible. Again, register at kpdq.com, and registration has been extended through Monday. Well, taking presidential stock, former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saw eye to eye with President Donald Trump while he had a great deliverant uh, divergence rather with President Barack Obama. He told Fox News Digital in an exclusive interview in his new memoir, BB, My Story, Netanyahu discusses many aspects of his personal and professional life, including his various relationships with U.S. presidents. He first held the office of prime minister during the Bill Clinton administration. He then started his second term during the Obama administration, and he stepped down a few months after current president Joe Biden took office. He told Fox News Digital that each president had certain qualities that allowed the relationship to exist, but he found that he had no overt um, divergence with Obama. Toxic Wyoming Republican congressional candidate Harriet Hagman blasted university researchers who said they are monitoring her Twitter account for toxic language as part of a project they claimed would be published in the Washington Post. I'll tell you what's toxic, trying to freeze free speech with ominous warnings that we're watching you from pointy head college professors and the leftist corporate media, Hagman told Fox News Digital. Well, Democratic Representatives Sean Patrick Maloney and Julia Brownlee are in tough races despite President Biden handily carrying those districts. The president called a prominent New York rabbi and offered him unfettered access to the White House in exchange for throwing his support behind Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, chair of the Democrats um, campaign arm, who is locked in a tight race. Maloney must now focus on his own race against Republican Assemblyman Mike Lawler on November 8th. It has uh, turned into a toss up race despite Biden carrying the district by 10 points and political uh, reports uh, reports rather that yet um, his isn't the only district where President Joe Biden uh, romped in 2020 only for the GOP to now surge to a degree few Democrats anticipated months ago. There's a growing panic about Democratic leaning seats flipping in the uh, Portland suburbs of uh, Calif- uh, suburbs and in California where Representative Julia Brownlee uh, who was uh, warned colleagues her deep blue seat could be in trouble. Reporter Sarah, <laughs> reporter Sarah Ferris says it's not just Maloney um, sweating it uh, in a Biden plus 10. Representative Julia Brownlee has been dialing up California Dems for help in her Biden plus 20 seat. A recent poll showed her up by one point. Sources tell me. Uh, this, um, in addition to Democrats' fears in reliably blue states in Oregon as well. President Biden's uh, chief of staff violated the Hatch Act, but with no disciplinary action taken. Well, top aide Ron Klain uh, got, a, uh, got it wrong this time and will be more careful, the White House said in a Thursday memo dated Wednesday. 
said Klain ran afoul of the Hatch Act, which prohibits government officials from using their official roles to influence elections. Oh, well, he just made a simple mistake, including supporting candidates while acting in their official capacities. The message Klain retweeted on the 22nd of May from Strike Pack, a Democratic group, was about delivering infant formula to Americans. But the message also included the encouragement, get your Democrats deliver merch today. No disciplinary action will be pursued. And the office, an independent government watchdog that monitors violations of the Hatch Act, considers the matter closed. No big deal. Violation of the law by a top executive position. Well, Hot Air reports that under the provisions of the law in question, anyone found guilty of violating the Hatch Act can be removed from federal service. Take a reduction in grade, be uh, debarred from the federal service for up to five years, be suspended or receive a letter of reprimand. Apparently, in this case, none of that will apply. Crime and education in New York are making Democrats rethink their votes. Many lifelong Democrats are throwing their support behind Republican New York gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin. Uh, saying rising crime and concerns about education have turned them against Governor Hochul. Zeldin and Hochul touched on the issue in their debate earlier this week. And while Zeldin mentioned he would never mandate the shot, she said uh, she would uh, she would uh, not at this time. Governor Hochul this week encouraged parents to remask their toddlers to protect them from RSV, respiratory um, syntical virus contending that children are more more socialized to the idea of wearing a mask anyway, so no big deal. Meanwhile, President Biden claims gas prices were over $5 when he took office. Well, the president falsely spoke about gas prices under the Trump administration Thursday, claiming the most common price of gas was over $5 when he took office. The national average price was $2.39 on January 23rd, 2021, days after Biden took office. The national average price of gas did not reach $5 until June of 2022 under the current administration, and it's remained under $3 for the entirety of the Trump administration. Town Hall reports that Biden, the most common price of gas, three thirty nine, down from five dollars when I took office. The average price of gas was far lower and far sooner than he admitted to. PayPal is reinstating a misinformation fee. If you haven't yet deleted your account, now may be a good time. PayPal, if you are selling and receive uh, funds for transactions that violate the acceptable use policy, then in addition to being subject to the above actions, you will be liable to PayPal for an amount of PayPal's damages caused by your violation of the acceptable use policy, which is their policy. You acknowledge and agree that $2,500 U.S. per violation of acceptable use policy is presently a reasonable minimum estimate of PayPal's actual damages. Well, Christian Collins, he weighs in saying that PayPal quietly reinstated the fine for misinformation after they said it was a mistake some two weeks ago, hoping you're not paying attention. And Wokeness says that PayPal's $2,500 misinformation fine is back. Pass it on. Well, Chuck Schumer gives President Biden a brief rundown of the midterms. The Senate Majority Leader on Thursday admitted in a hot mic moment that the Pennsylvania Senate Democratic candidate John Fetterman hurt his chances with a shaky debate performance Tuesday night. Apparently not quite so uh, noble as some um, media talking heads have suggested. Schumer to Biden on the midterms. It looks like the debate didn't hurt us too much in Pennsylvania as of today. So that's good. We're picking up steam in Nevada, the states where we're. Uh, downhill is Georgia. It's hard to believe that they will go for Herschel Walker, end quote.
Well, Democrat Senator Bob Menendez is once again under investigation. New Jersey Senator Menendez is under federal criminal investigation in New York. Federal uh, prosecutors, um, federal court prosecutors there first investigated him in 2015 when he was indicted but never convicted in an alleged bribery scheme in which prosecutors said an eye doctor provided flights on a private jet and other perks in exchange for his help securing contracts. The uh, subsequent 2017 trial on the charges in New Jersey ended in a mistrial after the jury failed to reach a verdict. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York is conducting the investigation. Uh, The scope of the investigation is unclear. The digital news operation Semaphore was uh, first to report on the investigation and described it as broadly similar to the 2017 case, but involving a different set of people, citing two people familiar with the investigation. Germany dismantled a wind farm to expand a coal mine. Hmm. In the throes of an energy crisis, a German energy company is moving forward with plans to dismantle a wind farm adjacent to its coal mine in order to expand operations. The removal of one of the wind farm's eight wind turbines occurred last week, with two more coming down next year and the rest getting removed by the end of 2023. North Rhine-Westphalia's Ministry for Economic and Energy Affairs repeatedly Uh, advocated against destruction of the windmills in the current situation. All potential for the use of renewable energy should be exhausted as much as possible, and existing turbines should be in operation for as long as possible. But according to some who recognize the crisis they are currently in, they ran as long as feasible. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a look at some of the lighter side of the news when James Blend joins me after this break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend joins me as we take a look at the lighter side of the news. But before we get there, I want to let you know we have extended the registration for the Pastor Appreciation Breakfast to Monday morning. Space is limited, so please register now. We would love to have the opportunity to celebrate you if you're a pastor or ministry leader and spouse. Again, that's coming up on Thursday, November the 3rd at the Embassy Suites Portland Airport. And uh, we're going to have a fabulous breakfast fellowship. My sister and I, along with Dan Rice, will be leading worship and an uplifting message from Pastor Alan Jackson. The event is free, but you need to register. Again, it's coming up on Thursday, November the 3rd, and we've extended the registration through Monday morning. So check it out. Hey, James, how you doing? Very good. Very good. I'm actually uh, just thinking as you were talking there. How excited I am about the pastor's breakfast. It's been so long since we've been able to do one. Yes. And I'm so excited about it. It's one of my favorite things we do every year. Yeah, I would agree. That and the uh, the golf tournament that we yes. have done in I, years I'm, past. I'm hoping that comes back soon, too. I'm hoping so as well. Well, I got a story for you here. Uh, baby seals, this is not singular, but plural. Baby seals have a sense of rhythm and they can distinguish style of beats. I would say styles of beats, but that's just me. Uh, who, who cares and why is this important? One might wonder. Well, seals have musical flow on the ice flow. The semi-aquatic sea creatures are one of the few mammals with a sense of rhythm and can differentiate between tempo and style of beats according to a new study. Someone went so far as to study it. While biologists previously thought only vocalizations, uh, 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 learning animals or oh, vocalization learning animals such as humans and songbirds have the skill. Dutch researchers found that young harbor seals can also get down rhythmically. 
The marine mammals can distinguish between the tempo, the length and regularity of seal vocalizations, signaling and understanding of musicality, according to the report. For the study, researchers from the Max Planck Institute for Physiolinguistics uh, played a variety of recordings behind the backs of 21-year-old seals. They then recorded how many times the animals turned their heads to look at the sound source, an indication they were interested in different rhythmic proportions. Uh, They found that the um, blubbery bobbers whipped their heads around more often when vocalizations were longer, faster, or rhythmically regular. Ultimately, that means seals are capable of discriminating without the use of uh, treats as motivation between regular and irregular sequences, along with short uh, verses, long ones, and fast versus slow tempos, according to the study. Have we run out of things to study, I wonder? I feel like there's certain things like, you know, we've never figured out, you know, the cure for cancer, for example, <laughs> you know, that maybe just kind of laying there waiting for some attention. I mean, I knew there was a chicken dance, but a seal dance? Did yeah, not I, know. I, I don't know. I mean, may, this must be important somehow. I'll, I'll grant that possibility, although it's hard to uh, discern what it might be. But I there you have it. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then there's this. Um, rats with tiny backpacks could soon save the lives of earthquake survivors. Uh, the project, it's uh, APOPO, APOPO, a Belgian nonprofit that trains animals to save lives, is fitting rats with small specialized backpacks to help emergency crews search for survivors in the event of a building collapse. Hey, I mean, they sort of owe us, don't they? Bubonic plague and so on. Well, according to researchers on the project, their small size and excellent smell of the rodents, plus their adventurous spirit, makes them the perfect animal to help in such disasters. Rats are typically quite curious and like to explore, and that is the key for search and rescue. So they would be search and rescue rats. Well, the rats aren't ready to be deployed into collapsed buildings just yet, but they're currently being trained in a similar disaster area during 15-minute sessions, five days a week, going through the motions of a real rescue. Well, then, actually, they couldn't rescue you, but they could notify those who can. In the uh, simulated exercises, the rats have to find a person trapped in the rubble, then pull a switch on their own tiny vest that triggers a beeper and then return to their handlers where they've um, uh, they're given a treat. So it must be like a steak dinner or something, because that's quite a feat. The rodents backpacks are fashioned with a video camera, but scientists are hoping to make it as small as possible without losing any functionality and also include a two way microphone and location transmitter to help locate survivors and communicate with people. So here we have a case of rats redeeming themselves. Redeeming themselves. I mean, they've been plaguing humankind from the very beginning. Yeah, but they're still scaring people left and right. I mean, That's you know, true, they're still and they're still, you know, well, let's say just let's just say not using public restrooms. Well, that's true, but I'm just saying that they're scurry through. They're they're just trying to reform a few of the rats to uplift. Okay, I guess there's really nowhere to go with that. No, there's no defense of a rat. I don't want to speak badly of the rat who might rescue me at some point. Although, if I were trapped in the rubble and a rat approached, that would probably end my life as opposed to I was going to say, I would, have, I, I would have thought that you would have preferred to stay in the rubble than to go with the rat. Yeah, I have to think this one through. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to revisit that. 
I agree. Well, a young bar-tailed godwit. You know what a bar-tailed godwit is? It's a bird. Uh, yeah, okay. It's a bird. I'll go with that. Well, it appears to have uh, set a nonstop distance record for migratory birds by flying at least 13,560 kilometers. That's 8,435 miles from Alaska to the Australian state of Tasmania, according to a bird es- expert. Now, the bird was tagged as a hatchling in Alaska during the Northern Hemisphere summer with a tracking GPS chip and um, tiny solar panel that enabled the international research team to follow its first annual migration across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, bird life Tasmania uh, is part of this thing, too. Because the bird was so young, its gender wasn't known. Well, aged about five months, it left southwest Alaska at the yukon Kuskanawin Delta, or something very like that, on the 13th of this month, and touched down 11 days later... Um, at Anson's Bay on the island of Tasmania's northeastern tip on the 24th, according to the data from uh, the Institute of Ornithology. The research has yet to be published or peer-reviewed, but the bird started on a southwestern course toward Japan, then turned southeast over Alaska, the Aleutian Islands. A map published by New Zealand's um, uh, center shows the bird was again tracking southwest when it flew over or near um, uh, New Caledonia then passed the Australian mainland before turning directly west for Tasmania, Australia's most southerly state. Well, the satellite trail, uh, it showed it covered 13,560 kilometers without stopping. That's incredible. That's a lot of flying. Now, can it eat while flying? I mean, is it catching bugs while flying? This thing went. Uh, for that many days without stopping for any reason. That's amazing. And it may be a world record. Now the birds are getting in on it. Yep. Well, Guinness World Records lists the longest recorded migration by a bird without stopping uh, for food or nesting at 12,200 kilometers or 7,500 miles by a satellite-tagged male bar-tailed godwit, same species, flying from Alaska to New Zealand. So this little uh, upstart bird apparently... Broke the old guy's record. So you got you got birds in the Guinness Book of World Record, and over the past couple of years, a lot of people who got uh, bored during the pandemic are in the Guinness Book World Guinness Book of World Records as well. And yet, you and I have yet to be able to crack that thing. Yeah, we have to just come up with some nonsense and do it five times, and we're in. Apparently, something no one has ever thought of, like I don't know, stop talking for a period of time. The talk show host that stops talking. The talk show host that goes the longest without talking. That seems like, okay, there's no way you'd get that. But <laughs> That's I, a bad idea. How about, how about we stop talking for about uh, two to three minutes? Do you think you might uh, make a record? Uh, well, let's see if we can do it. You connect with Guinness. I'll sit here quietly. Okay, we'll be back, good. ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend has joined me as we look at the lighter side of the news. Oh, there goes the record. Oh, man. Well, San Francisco is a foodie heaven with plenty of Michelin-starred restaurants. And San Francisco's loves dogs. So... It might come as no surprise that an entrepreneur has decided to combine the two passions, creating what it's believed to be the first restaurant exclusively for man's best friend. Dog you, which rhymes with. Well, is it dog 
Okay. It rhymes with Vogue, so it's Dogue. Opened last month in the city's trendy Mission District. For $75 per pup, doggy diners get a multiple course bone appetite. <laughs> um, a meal featuring dishes like chicken skin waffles, filet mignon steak tartare with quail eggs. Now, your dog does not care about uh, chicken skin waffles or filet mignon tartare with quail eggs. This is so ridiculous. It also includes a mimosa and a baked treat for the pup's human. Well, this is really what it's about. Uh, virtue signaling about just what kind of a pet parent you are. Well, the dog, uh, one dog owner and classically trained chef decided to leave his stressful job running a fine dining restaurant to focus on his new canine cafe. Some critics have expressed online outrage over the price point for the pampered pets, pointing out um, income inequality, gentrification, homelessness in the city. For the cost of the um, tasting menu, you could buy at least five big burritos at one of the many nearby taquerias in the Mission District. But the um, the owner says that since opening a month ago, he's received overwhelming support from his customers who appreciate having a place to pamper their pups. Now, do the dogs really feel like they're being pampered or it's just another inconvenience? Uh, This is just. Yeah, that's anthropomorphism, making our dogs people. I am glad, though, that you added that the mimosas were for the people because I was beginning to visualize, well, inebriated pooches. (laughs) Staggering around the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. And while that is comical sounding, it probably does fall under animal cruelty, I would think, in some way, shape, or form. Well, I'm wondering if just this restaurant in and of itself, trotting him in there, sitting him down. Sounds like cruel and unusual punishment. Yes, exactly. You can look into that, if you will. I will do so. A British man, David Farquharson, or oh him, like that, spends four thousand dollars making Liz Truss dog toys, only for her to suddenly resign. Now, Liz Truss, as you might recall, was the shortest um, running British Prime Minister in British history. Well, an entrepreneurial British man spent nearly four thousand dollars uh, making squeaky dog toys that looked like Liz Truss after she became prime minister. But his business venture hit a roadblock when she resigned just 40 days, 44 days in. He's the creator of Trusty Dog, spelled like her name is spelled with two S's, told uh, Express uh, UK that after weeks of designing the model with his own pooch and working with a factory in China, He was set to get the first shipment at the beginning of November. But last Thursday, Truss announced that she would resign amid political turmoil in the conservative party. You have to laugh. I thought it would be quite funny for a dog to play around with Liz Truss dog toys. Well, this just makes it even funnier how ridiculous the situation is, he says. My wife is going to kill me having all these dog toys in a two bedroom apartment. But we'll see what happens there. Well, the dog toys are now going for $18 it's a 25% discount from what it was originally going to cost. Made from high-quality pet-safe material, your dog will really love the squeak Liz. The squeak Liz makes when they play with her. I was reading that uh, apparently out of 4, the... 4,000. Yeah, out of those 4,000, uh, he sold five so far. Five really? as of a couple of days ago, yeah. Yeah, his wife's going to be really mad. I mean, I, I looked at these things and see, well, could you pass them off as somebody else? <laughs> yeah, really. And no, it's pretty distinctively it's Liz Truss. Yeah, yeah it, I agree. You, you can't really, um, maybe 
If you're not wearing glasses, maybe Meryl Streep, but that's about it. <laughs> Would you like a Meryl Streep dog, Troy? Maybe not. No, well, it, largest, you know what I've, yeah. what I've heard? I've heard you should never give dog toys to people. Never uh, mind. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class annually <laughs> came to the station for a tour. Yes, they did. Mrs. Stutzman is my sister. And I went out of my way to make it special for those kids because every well, year I love Mrs. Stutzman and I loved her pupils. Well, one year I was um, preparing for what I was going to say to the students when they came. I always want to have some sort of inspirational uh, little talk to encourage them to think about how God has um, fashioned them for their future. And they had these little balls of the size of a, I don't know, a baseball. And they about were little that, yeah. worlds. They were, it was the whole world in a ball. It was kind of plushy. And I thought, this is a great idea. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got, you know, your future planned out for you. Well, it turned out, as I showed them to James and Justin, who's the PD here, that they were actually dog toys. The squeaky part kind of gave it away. <laughs> well, I didn't. Squeeze it a little bit. It goes, <laughs> squeak. I didn't squeak it or squeeze it. I just, anyway, I took the tags off and they're Kids in uh, in the area now that have those dog toys, dog toys. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully, you remember no the, la- the time we went out. to the radio station and they gave us dog toys. That was cool, <laughs> huh? Well, they were fourth graders. I think they'd still have fun, and maybe they had dogs. I don't know. Well, a Minnesota gardener, his two thousand five hundred and sixty pound pumpkin, we talked about last week, the largest in U.S. history, is being carved into the world's largest. Jack-o'-lantern, why not kill two records with one stone? Uh, The pumpkin, dubbed Maverick in honor of Tom Cruise's uh, character from the Top Gun films, uh, broke the U.S. record for pumpkin size when it won the World Championship Pumpkin Way Off in Half Moon Bay, California, earlier this month. Well, the owner, the man who grew the massive pumpkin, brought Maverick back to his home in Anoka, and the gargantuan gourd is being carved Friday in an attempt to break the Guinness World Record for the largest jack-o'-lantern. Well, the pumpkin is being carved into the image of an eagle at Anoka City Hall. I've seen some images online. The event is organized by the Halloween Association there as an organization that bills the city as the, the Halloween capital of the world. Not sure I'd want to live there. This is uh, good to bring recognition to the growing giant pumpkins, which brings recognition to the event. So actually kind of impressive. They hired somebody that is a skilled carver. How much time do I have? You have about, oh, about a minute and a half. About a minute and a half. Well, I better not go into that. I'll save that for another time. But an apple a day must be the secret to the doctor's longevity. The world's oldest doctor, who is 100 years old, is still working and on TikTok. TikTok? Yeah. Which No comment. A 100-year-old Ohio man set the Guinness World Record for being the world's oldest working doctor, who's on his way to becoming a TikTok star. Dr. Howard Tucker earned the title in February of last year when he was 98 years old and um, 231 days uh, old, according to Guinness World Record. Well, the Cleveland native is being featured as the subject of an upcoming documentary, What's Next?, Uh, The documentarian, who is uh, collaborating with Tucker's grandson for the project, even created a TikTok handle where fans can see the physician in action. 
Tucker is a neurologist who's been practicing medicine since 1947, continues to see patients twice a week. My guess is he's not performing surgery. People say to me, you're doing pretty good for 100. And I say to myself, how many 100-year-old people have they sampled? (laughs) I don't think I've ever um, met another 100-year-old person. I have only met myself, he says. Well, besides his accomplishments in the medical field, the clinician also received a second degree in law, is a World War II Navy veteran, and served as the chief of neurology for the Atlantic Fleet during the Korean War. This guy is impressive. Howard also has a special tie to the Big Apple. He was once a teacher at the Neurological Institute of New York, ended up marrying one of his former students after she graduated. The couple then moved back to Cleveland and had four children. His wife, 89, is also still practicing as a psychoanalyst and cannot see retirement in her future either. Maybe she's just going for the record. I don't know. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. Howard still reported to his office and uh, contracted the virus shortly after his 100th birthday, but still managed to instruct medical residents on Zoom. Now he sees patients at St. Vincent Charity Medical Center. And uh, pretty impressive. The challenge of thinking through a case and getting to help patients, as well as teaching the next generation of neurologists, never gets old, he says. Uh, speaking to Guinness Records, when you love what you do and you're still capable of doing it, well, why would you want to retire? Well, kudos to the good doctor. That's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, to be able to still be practicing medicine today when probably when he started there is still uh, prescribing courses of leeches. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's highly possible. All right, we're out of time. We've got what news? We've got traffic coming up at the top of the hour. Just a reminder, you can register for the Pastor Appreciation Breakfast through Monday morning at kpdq.com. We would love to be able to honor you, so I hope you'll plan on joining us. And up next in our second hour, the Christian Outlook. So stick around. A lot, lot more to go. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.